0: Our second message this afternoon is from Mr. Steve Andrews. It is entitled, God's Purpose in Us. Steve. Well, greetings, brethren, and uh, good to be here today. I make a a very long trip every week uh, to work, and um, at the end of my trip on I-244, there's this Huge sign that you can't miss, and it says, "When you die, you shall meet God." And um, there's a number at the bottom of it, and I haven't called it yet. I'm, t- I'm kind of tempted to find out what they what they have to say, but it's very interesting that they would put that up there, because we un- we know. That the Bible says, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. There's a lot of things going around. Christians believe. A lot of ideas that they have. Some believe that God used evolution. (laughs) I can't hardly believe that they would do that, but they do. They believe that evolution is God's little tool that he's set forth and that uh, he turned his back on the rest of humanity and walked off and and left us uh, to fend for ourselves. Oh, sending Christ, you know, and things like that. But evolution was the way that he did it. And then there are some that believe because they misunderstand um, um, the words in the Bible, uh, foreknowing predestination, and those things. They believe that this is like a movie. You know, you have have the writer, God. You have the script. You have the, he's the director. He's the producer. And we're in that movie. And everything we do has been already written. And there's nothing new that can be done. But that's not what the Bible shows us. And from our own experiences, we know that people can come to this way and walk away from it. They can do horrible things even after they understand the truth. I've seen that in the past. We know that in reality what we see is that God has a dynamic personal involvement and what is going on on this earth and in the individuals on this earth now he has certain ones that he calls and he has a plan and he has a purpose and he has a direction And that's what I'd like to talk about today God's purpose in us but to set set the the, um, the groundwork I'd like to get an overall picture and we we find that in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. I, I love these verses that pretty much give us a, an idea of what God's plan is in the totality in just a few verses. And we see that here beginning in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, beginning in verse 12. And Paul was a defender of the, of the resurrection. Now, I don't know whether that sign and the, those people believe that In the resurrection, probably not. They probably believe in going to heaven and those things. But at least one thing that they do have right is that we will meet God. And we will meet Jesus Christ. And Paul was a defender of the very thing that we believe in, which was the resurrection. In verse 12, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? It's important to understand that this is a a very foundational part of God's purpose and plan for all of humanity. He said, But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be the, the dead that the dead rise not. Forth or dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and you are yet in your sins. And we see how very important it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, and the life that he has today. Then they also that are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. And if this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards they that are Christ in his coming. Then comes the end. You see the broad overview of what Paul is trying to help us to understand. That God has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a direction. And there was history before Christ. But Christ is extremely, is, is, the, is the vital part of his purpose and his plan for mankind. And when Christ came, it opened the door for many to come. Many brethren to come into the, to this way of life. And for all of men. To have hope, he says. Then comes the end when we shall have, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. When he, has, uh, when he has, shall have, uh, uh, let me go back here, and make sure that I'm right. I want to pick this back up again because I want to emphasize: <clears throat> if in this life only we have in Christ. Uh, we are all, all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards they that are in Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. You see the, the process. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. That last enemy that, that shall be put under his feet and that is destroyed is death. For he shall have put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted which did put all things under him. And when all things are subdued to him, Then shall the Son also himself be subject to him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. So we get a broad, very broad overview of what God is doing and how he is working this plan out so that the eventuality is God will be over all things. I'm going to... I gave... I gave Brian the, uh, my little notes and my uh, scriptures, and I want to jump ahead a little bit. I want to go to Romans, the ninth chapter, Brian, instead of uh, the two that you have in front of that. I think the historical perspective here is is a good one to jump into, because Paul, when he was writing this, he, he was lamenting about what could have happened if if the... Israelites had have obeyed God. The greatness that could have happened if they would have been obedient. In verse 1 of chapter 9 of Romans, he says, I say in truth, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience is also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. He was grieved about this situation. For I could wish that myself were accursed Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertains the the adoption, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises, all of those things to the Israelites, whose are the fathers, and to whom, as concerning the, uh, the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever, Amen. Not though the word of God has taken none effect, for they, are, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. God was able to tell. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall your seed be called. And we know that Abraham had another son through Hagar. And Ishmael had you know, a kingdom. But the seed was the promised seed that was to go through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Those, that was the way that, it was, that God had set it up. That was his purpose, his plan. That they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. That was quite moving, that little piece. Sometimes we don't realize this, you know, what was going through Abraham's mind and and, uh, his willingness to take his son's life to serve God. He understood also that there was that promised seed. And so maybe he understood also the resurrection, but it didn't make it probably any easier to come to that point where he had to sacrifice his son. That was very moving. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, either having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand not of works, but of him that calls. The dynamic working of God. Now, I, I'm trying to lay the groundwork so that you feel that God is working in you. That he's taking personal interest in your life. In your future. In your family. In your children. In everything that you do. As we read the scriptures, we see that God reaches down. He makes decisions. He calls. He takes in, their hand, in his hands the lives of these indi- individuals and works in their life. And it's interesting that he makes what we would consider very tough decisions on the right hand and the left, because if we see, he says, it was said of her that the elder shall serve the younger, as is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. It's God's prerogative to make those decisions. So then it is not of him that wills, nor of him that runs, but of God that shows mercy. For the scripture says of, to Pharaoh, Even from this, for this same purpose have I raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. It's interesting. Down through the ages, we have preached this message, talked about this message. The Israelites coming out of Egypt, Pharaoh being his um, his his whole life being uh, uh, ending there as they cross the um, the great sea. He says, therefore, he. Therefore has he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardens. He will say to me, why does he yet find fault? For who has resisted his will? And you can see where some people might get the idea that all this is worked out. Nay, but O God, who are you that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, why have you done this thus? Had not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel to honor and another to dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had before prepared to glory? What the Bible says shows us that there's a purpose and a reason for the things that God does, that he has a powerful direction that he is bringing the world to. Even us, whom he has called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles, as he says unto Hosea, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said of them, You are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. What a blessing that we are called the children of the living God. Isaiah also cries concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of of Sabbath had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and had been as like Gomorrah. Because of Israel's sins. There were a stench in the nostril of God. He sent them away. He sent the the ten tribes away from the north. And then he finally had to do the same to the, uh, to the tribe of Judah in the south. But just like it, the Bible says, there's a remnant. There's those that have been separated. And what shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which follow not after righteousness, but attain to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, has not attained the law, uh, to the law of righteousness, Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, and we'll look at that a little bit later, but as it were by works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling block. Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. And that's Jesus Christ. So what about God's purpose in our own personal lives? The Bible talks a lot about that very personal things in there. The book of Ephesians, the little epistle of Ephesians, is a powerful epistle that talks a lot about those, those particular things. I have a few verses here that I want to read in this epistle. In verse 3, chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as he has chosen us. In him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame. Before him in love. Having predestined us. To the adoption of children. By Jesus Christ to himself. According to the good pleasure of his will. God. From the foundation of the, of the earth has decided that he was going to have a family. Jesus, the firstborn, the first fruits of that family. And all from then on down, he has been building that family. He desired a family. He desired to have children. He, he's even set up the family to show that As an example, husband, wife, children, families, the growth of those families. He desires children to be in his kingdom, to have him as the father, Jesus as the son, to be a part of that family. It says that he did it according to the good pleasure of His will. Lawrence gave that on, you know, being pleased. God being pleased with the things that He did. This was a part of that. To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the richness of His grace. He's made it possible Even though we're sinners, He's made it possible through Jesus Christ, through that redemption, to be the children of God. To be a part of that kingdom. Wherein He has abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He has purposed in Himself. All of these things what God is purposing for himself and for those he is calling that in the dispensation of the fullness of time in other words when all of that comes about and it's all fulfilled and God is all in all and he looks out over his children he is very pleased with you and I and all that will come after us to be a part of his kingdom. He will be overjoyed, and I hope, and I'm sure that we will be overjoyed after living this physical life, and then being spirit beings in his kingdom. We will rejoice with God as he takes pleasure in us. that in dissipation of the fullness of times he might gather together in, one, in all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, even in him, in whom also we have ordained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. After the counsel of his own will. I desire that this is going to happen and i will make it happen i sent my son on the earth to die that my that my will and my purpose will be fulfilled and i will have sons and daughters in this kingdom that we should be to the <clears throat> to the praise of his glory who first trusted in christ in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance upon the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. All things that God does eventually Look to the glory and praise that he will receive in the kingdom. We will lift our voices along with the angels and praise God. Hallelujah. We will sing Moses' song before God. We will kneel. We will bow. We will glorify God, and he will be glorified in our presence. Not that we are anything, but that He, through Christ, has brought us through this world and into His kingdom. In Romans, the eighth chapter, Romans 8, beginning of verse 28. And we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. It's God's purpose in us that we are being called by God to serve Him and worship and eventually to be His sons in His kingdom. That's His purpose for us. For whom He did foreknow. He also did predestinate predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. These are spiritual concepts, brethren. God had a plan that we would be in His kingdom. He looked down and He says, I'm going to have children. And this plan was that He would be involved in doing it. He did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. There's a process that goes on in every Christian's life. And that's part of that process. The calling... You know, God already knows you. He's already determined that you're going to be. But that calling, sometimes we don't hear it right away, do we? I remember as a teenager, listening to to David Antion, and I my, and I've I've said this before. I've been all through all of the different churches. My mother was, she wanted us to be. You know, no Christ. I guess if you you wanted to put it down to that, she wanted us to be religious. She wanted us to. To have a good religious background, so she'd take us around to the different churches, see if we could find one that um, that the whole family could go to. I think that was what she was really looking at. But my dad was not very interested in it, and I've said that before. He was a, he had been raised a Methodist, and he just God just not wasn't calling him. There just wasn't any any way he was wasn't being called, and so. She had gotten the plain truth and asked if we could come to church and sure enough, we went to church and after all of the other ministers and preachers and everything I had ever heard and even as a teenager, I could understand that this man was preaching the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God i mean there was there was something totally different about how he was preaching it, what he was saying, the Bible that he was uh, that he was preaching out of it, I don't know. But for a kid to recognize that, God's Spirit was working with me. But it took me many years before that calling was secured. And sometimes it does take a while. For others, it's immediate. I mean, they, they hear the Word and they're ready. God is working with us. But... If he's going to call us, and we come into this way of life, and we've received the Holy Spirit, he's going to take us the whole way. He's going to take us the whole way unless we decide to give up. Because it says, then he also justifies. And whom he justifies, then he's going to glorify. In other words, he's going to put them in the kingdom of God. They're going to be spirit beings. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, it can be against us. This is a personal thing that God is doing in each and every one of the ones that he is calling and putting his spirit in. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. You can see the process personally inside working with us, if we allow that, if we want God's personal relationship, which we should as his, as his children, who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of, of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No matter what goes on, nothing can separate us. Tribulation, distress, persecutions, famines, nakedness, peril, the sword. As it's written, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And Paul goes on and says, he is so persuaded in what he understands about God's purpose and plan. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's something that all of us have to have, though. We have to believe God and Jesus Christ. We have to believe their words. We have to believe that he's working with us. We have to believe that there is his kingdom waiting for us when we (laughs) go before him. When you die, you shall meet God. In Hebrews, the 11th chapter, and verse 6, one of my favorite ones, Lawrence read this, Without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You can't believe in evolution. You can't believe that this is a, some big movie that we're in. God is dynamic and he's very much involved in his calling of his individual saints, you and me. If he has to correct us, he does. If he re, he, sometimes he rewards us. Sometimes we struggle. But it's for the greater good. But we have to realize that we have to believe in what God is doing in our life. The warning has been in here for a very long time, since the, these epistles were written. Hebrews, the third chapter, verse 7. Wherefore, the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear His voice, we're reading the Word of God. So we're hearing what God has inspired to be written. I bring in a little bit of my own life, just for a little color. But for me, the Word of God is the most important thing that you get out of this message today. That you hear the Word of God, His voice, His voice, Pardon not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation. I was grieved with that generation. and said they do always err in their heart. And they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. The Sabbath rest is so important in the plan of God. And we've had that message twice. And it is so important. And in fact, it is part of the the cornerstone of what Christ and God are trying to get through to, to, to mankind. And we have forgot it, except for a few of us that understand the Word of God and what it says. He says, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. We must believe what God has written. He said, exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. In chapter 4, verse 3. For we which have believed do enter into the rest, as he said, "As uh, As I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spoke in a certain place in the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest on the seventh day from all his works. And in this place, again, they say, Enter into my rest. How important is this day? It points to the kingdom of God. It points to that millennial rest. It points to the time when his sons and daughters will be in that kingdom. It is such an important time. God rested from his work on that day. Set it aside. Made it holy. He says, Seeing therefore it remains that some must enter therein, and they do whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. We have a whole Christian society that don't believe in this day. And it's so plain in the Bible. Again, he limits a certain day, saying in David, today, after so long a time, as it said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. We have a whole society of believers who have got hard hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, which is Joshua, at the day when they came over into the promised land, that was the promised land. That was the time when God was going to bless them and give them everything. And they turned on God. And he says, if, if, if Joshua had given them rest, then there wouldn't... There wouldn't be another day. There remains, therefore, a rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. In other words, this day pictures that time when we will be spirit beings and we will not have the trials and tribulations, that the world will be ruled by Jesus Christ. And you and I, we will have rulership over this this world. It will be a time in which the world will cease from war. It will cease from hatred. It will cease from race baiting and all the things that are going on today and the hatreds that are going on today. It's so sad what's happening in our world. What's happening to our nation? For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword, piercing, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and tents of the heart. I just added that one in there because it's uh, a very good line to go to. The book of Luke. (laughs) Luke, the 12th chapter. To finish this message, I want to go to what Jesus said about trusting. And this was pointed out. He was talking to his disciples, you and I. This is a personal. Recommendation by Jesus Christ to you and I. Therefore I say to you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. He says, consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn. And God feeds them. How much more are you better than the fowls? You're such a special creation. He loves each and every one of you so much. He Sacrificed his son. Personal. (laughs) Can't get much more personal than that. You just can't get much more personal than that. And which of you, taking thought, can add this to his stature? I think I'm getting shorter. I can't add anything to my stature anymore. It's probably because I'm, you know, I'm drooping down. But I, it's a fact. I mean, you get so tall, and, and that's it. You grow, and then you get old, and you probably get shorter. <laughs> if you then being able to, uh, to do the, uh, if you then be not able to do that thing, which is least, why take your thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not, and yet I say to you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now we haven't this year is because there's been so much rain. Now I haven't had very good luck with the the tomatoes and things like that. But our flowers are grown like weeds. I mean, we got beautiful flowers, and it just seems like they're just they keep coming and keep coming. They're so so pretty. If then God so clothed the grass, which today is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will He clothe you, O you, a little faith? You know, He, he connects faith and belief and, and, and confidence in God's being able to take care of you, being able to bring you through this life and into His kingdom. Seek not you what you shall eat or what you shall drink, neither be you doubtful of a doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knows that you need of these things. But seek you the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek you the kingdom of God. In Matthew it says, Seek you first the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And all these things shall be added unto you. And Jesus says something so profound in this next verse that caught my eye. And that's the reason why I wanted to add these verses to this message. He says, fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's going to take care of you in this physical life. He's going to watch over you in this physical life. And when it comes down to your end of your life, he's going to put you into his kingdom as his son, ruling over the nations. Wow. How great is his purpose in us to give us the kingdom of God.